Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week, I have the opportunity of interviewing Cheyenne. She is in Oklahoma, and she is a roller derby girl, which I think is a really, really interesting. And she was born with bladder extrophy, and it was really cool to talk to her and see how it's affected her life and in a very different way. So let's just jump in and hear from her. So you also had bladder extrophy. Was it traditional bladder extrophy or? Yeah, the classic. I had the classic yield bladder extrophy. Um, just the, the straight, your base level bladder extrophy. Do you know if your parents knew ahead of time? They did not. So I am, uh, I'm 35. I was born in 87. And that just wasn't a thing that you could know. Yeah. Pre-birth at that time. So no, they had no idea. And they were very young. They were 19 and 20 when they had me. So they, um, my mom has told me before that she's actually glad she was so young because she didn't, she was so young. She didn't fully grasp like the gravity of the situation. Okay. Whereas if she had, if that had happened to her when she had a baby in her 30s, she probably would have freaked out a lot more. Right. That makes sense. Do you know, um, kind of like the events of right after you were born? Yeah, I do. Um, so I was born, um, in 1987 at Tinker Air Force Base, which is in Oklahoma. My dad was actually army, but the Air Force Base just happened to be the nearest military facility to where my mother was at that moment in time. I was born. My dad was not there. He was in San Antonio doing some pet training, but yeah, I was born and the doctors were like, we don't know what this is. We don't know what's happening. And they sent me to the hospital in Oklahoma city, which isn't very far from Tinker. And the hospital in Oklahoma city was like, we don't know what to do with this. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> this is beyond us. So I, then the conversation, you know, quickly became, okay, who does know what to do and where's the closest facility? Because again, you know, in, in 87, doctors talk to each other in much different ways than they talk to each other now. And so there were people working on bladder extrophy around the country, but it's not like they were in super close contact or you could just, you know, jump on the interwebs and Google something. So eventually it was decided I would either go to the Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins. And mm -hmm. I ended up being sent in an army plane to Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And then I think my mom and dad joined me at some point and my grandma joined me at some point in the future whenever they could get their stuff together and fly over there. But yeah, that's where I ended up having my first the initial closure. So was your, oh, sorry, I was just going to ask if your dad um, was kept in the loop, like right when you were born and it was clear that you weren't, you know, fully formed properly. As far as I know, yes. I also know that he was trying to get there in time for my birth, but didn't make it. So he may have been, his knowledge of the situation may have been delayed a few hours as he was in on a plane or whatever. But yeah, he, he knew and then eventually got to Oklahoma and went with my mom up to Rochester. That's nice to hear that they were trying to keep him like in touch mm -hmm. and like in the loop with what was going on. 
Yeah, I'm sure it was probably like a lot of my family doing it, but also all of that was done through the military facilities that we were connected to through him because he was the one in the military. So he probably got a lot of the phone calls before my mom did. Yeah. And so did your first closure go well? Yeah. From I mean, you know, I was there, but like, I don't remember. So <laughs> as far as I know, yes, I know that they did not, they didn't do the hip thing. And I forgot what that's called, but like the, the pubis bone not mm-hmm. fusing. I know they told my parents it was optional. My parents were like, what? We don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. Like having her in a cast for months sounds terrible. And I wish right. they had because it's caused a lot of problems since then, but they didn't know any better. Otherwise, it was fine. I just continued to leak and I, I didn't have any control at all until I was five. And I had the second, I forget what that one's called, but the second round that kids at that time would have to actually have control over their bladder when I before I went to school. So, you know, most babies before they're potty trained will, their bladder will fill up and then they'll release it all at once. And my mom said it wasn't like that for me. It was kind of a constant changing situation because I was just constantly leaking. There was no moment. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So were you, I mean, you were so young. I don't know if you remember, but were you able to tell if you had to go? I don't really remember pre my surgery. My I had that surgery when I was five that allowed me to be able to tell when I had to go. Before that, I really don't remember. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, that's a long was, time ago to yeah, remember was, that specific. It was a long time ago, and I was super young. And yeah, I don't remember. I'm sure at some point there had to have been a change in sensation from when I could and couldn't, from when I couldn't hold it to when I could. But I don't remember that moment in time. That would have been in 1992. So <laughs> that's when I was born. <laughs> well, so you're not, yeah, you're, we're in similar generations. I don't, uh, I'm sure you've told your story on the podcast before, but was it similar in the yeah. scramble to like figure out what was going on? And Yeah. I've told my story before on the show, but essentially the doctor just took me away from my mom and didn't even tell her what was going on. Mm-hmm. And she saw through an open door that the doctor was literally comparing me to like a textbook, trying to figure out what was wrong. Mm -hmm. And then I had to be taken to a different hospital as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I was taken down to Stanford. Okay. But yeah, I think they were trying not to alarm her, but I don't think they initially knew what was happening either. And I also, she told me that they couldn't initially tell her whether I was male or female because there was just so much happening. Yeah. And that, she said that was the thing that really scared her. It was like, well, but it must be messed up if they can't even tell such a basic thing. Mine was the same way. They said they weren't um, sure and they had to double check. Yeah. I'm sure that's a good thing for a 19 year old mom to hear is like, we can't tell you what we, I don't know if it's a girl or a boy. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Like one would and, think that would be a pretty easy thing to tell. Yeah. And then she told me years, of course, years and years later, like something that made always made me kind of sad, which was, now I asked her what all this was like and she told me and then one of the things she told me is that one of the hardest parts was when she first came home from the hospital before she went to the Mayo Clinic to meet up with me because she didn't have a baby and everybody else when they come home from the hospital they have a baby and everyone comes over and you get to say hey this is my baby this is the baby I made this baby look at my look at my beautiful baby and she couldn't do that and that made her sad oh yeah I can't imagine that feeling being sent home without the baby that you went to the hospital to. Yeah. I mean, and those are such like (laughs) such a formative time to create that bond between the baby and the mom too. Mm -hmm. 
my grandma ended up being the first person to arrive at the Mayo Clinic. So she always had a nice little story for me where it was like, oh, the first 12 hours or whatever it was, I don't remember the first 24 hours, it was just you and me. Cause she, you know, she was the first one to be able to get the flight to get there. So she likes to think that she and I, that she always would always say that she and I bonded, bonded first. That I was her, her real daughter. Doll. She was my real mom. It's like, all right, grandma. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, that's cute. Well, um, do you want to just walk us through maybe chronologically everything that you've had to deal oh, with? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. All right. I know it's an undertaking, but. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so I had my closure when I was five. And then I had a couple of related issues between that age and about age 13. Like I had a couple of bladder stone problems. Um, I had a couple of surgeries specifically for improving the appearance of the scar tissue. Mm. Like I had one, one when I was seven or eight and one again when I was 13. All of this was done in military hospitals or military facilities because my dad was military and all, we got through TRICARE. Um, we got everything essentially for free. But that was a double-edged sword because we moved around a ton. I didn't have a primary person who had all of my records and knew all of my background. We had a lot of records get lost when I was an adult and I tried to find records of the military. They just, they just didn't have them anymore. They, whatever wow. happened to them, they vanished. So, you know, as an adult, I've, I'm actually going to see a specialist here in Oklahoma city week after next, a bladder extra specialist. And he's asking me questions about who my doctor was in 87. And I'm like, and I asked my mom and she's like, well, I don't know. So we had to do some detective work to even figure out who, who it might've been. Uh, Cause there's just, those records are gone. The military's not, you'd think they'd be better at record keeping. Yeah. Uh, maybe they are now that there's like computers and stuff, but in 87 <laughs> when it was all files and the hospital I was born at, it's like no longer, it's a different kind of hospital now. Like all those records just vanished. Anyway, I am pretty lucky in the sense that I have always been able to control my bladder and I've only really had problems when I had a lot of urgency. Like if I have to go and there's nowhere, you know, 30 minutes goes by and there's nowhere to go, that's a problem. And nighttime, if I drink too much liquid at night, that's kind of a problem. But generally I'm dry. I had some issues at night until I was maybe 10, but that's mostly cleared up. I've never had to do like a catheter or the stoma route or anything like that. So I've been very lucky, I think, in that regard. One problem I did start to have in my 20s, my pelvic floor failed. Oh, so that's something that apparently just based on people I've talked to and like Facebook groups that I'm part of, that's not something that happens to uh, every woman that has bladder extrophy. I have no idea how common it really is. But basically when I was 23, 24, my pelvic floor started to fail and my uterus started sinking lower and lower and lower until eventually it was out of my body or oh, partially wow. yeah partially out of my body and then to a point where it was like a situation down there <laughs> so that I had to, I've had to deal with for the last decade or so I had three different surgeries the first two actually failed uh and then the third one I was like okay I'm going to like a I'm going to a head honcho somewhere. Like I'm going to a specialist. I'm going to a big wig who knows what he's doing and who ran me through 15 million tests beforehand so that he could, you know, accurately get it done. And that was in 2016 and it's been good. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not 
I'm not exactly following his instructions the way that I probably ought to. So like, if you're listening to this podcast and your doctor tells you to do something, you should probably do it. Um, (laughs) Don't be like me. Do as I say, not as I do. But I was told after this pelvic floor surgery that even after the healing process was done, that I should avoid weightlifting, which I don't. I avoid very, very heavy weightlifting, but I lift multiple times a week and avoid anything with like heavy impact. But I play (laughs) roller derby and I hit people and fall down all the time. So <laughs> I'm exact actually, opposite of yeah, instructions. He, his name is Dr. Zimmern. He's at the University of North Texas Medical Center and he is French. So when I asked him if I could still play roller derby, he was like, what is that? Like he was French. He'd never heard of it. And I described it and he was like, oh yeah, you can skate around. Just don't fall down. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you might want to look up some YouTube videos. <laughs> I won't fall down, sir. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's been my big thing. And 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 then kind of a follow-up or um, an addendum to that is that before my last surgery, they suggested that I have my uterus removed because that is the heaviest organ in the female body that the pelvic floor holds up. And that was like a big deal because it was like, well, that happens. You can't have kids. I don't have any kids. So I would never have kids um, of my own. But... To me, that was worth it because as badly as my public floor was failing, I really didn't think carrying a child would be anything that my body was capable of anyway, or at least not without like eight months of bed rest or something ridiculous. So, so yeah, I ended up having, when they did the last surgery to repair my pelvic floor and really, you know, pin my organs up there. They also took out my uterus, had a partial hysterectomy with it. Wow. And that seems uncommon. Like I said before, I'm in these, you know, some of these forums on Facebook and whatnot. And a lot of the women seem to have kids and they might say, you know, their pelvic floor isn't amazing, but not anything on the order of, you know, your organs falling out of you when you're in your twenties before you've ever even had children. So I guess that was the, that was the drawback. I won the bladder lottery, but lost the pelvic floor lottery with bladder extrapy. Yeah. This is the first interview that I've had. That's, that's even been an issue. Yeah. Um, I know it's something that happens to women just, you know, normal women of healthy bodies as they get older, those, you know, muscles deteriorate especially if you've had a lot of kids, like it's not an unheard of thing to happen in the general population. So I'm kind of surprised it doesn't happen more to women with bladder extrophy. I'm sure that there's some malformation of the muscles down there that doesn't help. I have to assume. And then there's the whole problem of your bone not connecting, your pubic bone not connecting, um, which is the thing that the kind of base that holds your pelvic floor. So if you got muscles that aren't fully formed and you have no bone base there, to me, it seems like only a matter of time, but maybe I just got unlucky in that department, you know? Right. Everything just aligned perfectly. Yep. For... <laughs> yep. Wow. You don't have to answer if you don't want to, but how do you feel about not being able to have kids? You know, I have a, I have like nine siblings and they're all younger, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've done, I've spent a lot of time around children being the oldest of nine and it makes me sad sometimes, but I also know that if I really wanted to, I could adopt. There are or options I, out there. Right. Yeah. Um, or I could just wait around for my siblings to start having kids and be world's greatest aunts. So it doesn't really bother me all that much, honestly. That's good. Yeah. 
I think what worried me initially was like, cause I wasn't married, you know, when I had that surgery, I wasn't in a, I wasn't even in a long-term relationship. And I was like, well, what if that cuts down like my dating pool, right. Of like guys who not only it's like, just not even an option, not even on the table for children, but, but I'm in a relationship now with, you know, a man who is understanding and we have decided that if we ever want to like want to have kids together, we'll adopt and that'll be, that'll be absolutely fine. That's important. Finding a partner who's understanding with all the medical stuff. Yeah. 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 That was something I was super worried about when I was young. And it turns out that maybe I'm just a good picker. I don't know, but the, you know, two or three long-term relationships I've been in, they've been, you know, those particular men in in that avenue have been great. So. Sounds like you're a good picker then. (laughs) (laughs) Did any of your medical stuff wind up affecting school and kind of being able to attend and I don't know, hobbies and things like that growing up? No, not really. I pretty much did what I wanted. I can only really remember like here and there, the couple of surgeries I had as a kid. But I, even then those surgeries were scheduled during the summer or during Christmas break. I always kind of avoided jumping on a trampoline because it just, that just uh, wasn't pleasant. And as I mentioned before, I wore, I just had a lot of trouble at night for some reason. I used to be a heavier sleeper is probably part of why I was always super embarrassed at like, you know, uh, parties, sleepovers, who's going to see in like fifth grade, I slept over at a friend's house and admitted to him that I, that I wore pull-ups and he told the whole school. So, or the whole grade. So it was stuff like that, that I was always super afraid of, but that was one, one benefit where moving around a lot and being military came in handy because he told the whole school. And then the next year I was at a different school in a different state. So screw him. So it didn't really matter. Yeah. (laughs) Did not matter. It was was a bummer at the time and really sad. It made me very guarded, even more guarded than I already was, but right. Ultimately it wasn't like it had, it followed me until my senior year or anything. So. Right. Right. Did that make you not really want to tell people about anything that you were going through? I would tell people, but I would tell people like a surface story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the, the, just the little trickly details, just enough of like, oh, my bladder's on the outside of my body when I was born. Oh, and as a result, I have to go to the bathroom a lot. Like, you know, that's, that's yeah. really it. And then as an adult, I'd be a little bit more honest or open about it, about, especially after the public floor stuff started, because I had, I'd started playing like roller derby and about, and I, at the time my, my uterus was mostly out of my body and I was still playing a sport. I should not have been, I should not have been kids, (laughs) (laughs) but I was. And six months later, after I started, I went ahead and had the surgery. And so I kind of had to explain to some of my teammates because they actually cut my abdomen open. It wasn't performed Mm -hmm. vaginally. So I had to kind of explain why I was out and why I was having a surgery performed through an open abdominal surgery and not just something lighter. But, you know, when you're an adult, people just understand a lot more. And when you're kids, it's like, if you're different, you're a weirdo. And if you're a weirdo, you're not cool. And I think today it seems anyway, like there's a lot more acceptance of different people and like a lot more anti-bullying, you know, anti-bullying campaigns and like concentrations on that. But in the mid nineties, your only real avenue was to go tell an adult. And sometimes that made it worse. So, right. Yeah. Can you, I guess, then tell us about, about how roller derby was with all of that going on? I mean, I can't imagine how you really um, handled that. I mean, 
I don't know a whole lot about roller derby either. So <laughs> all so, I know is it can be violent. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it. very, it's a full contact sport and it's very high impact and it's played on roller skates, of course. And really the whole goal is to use your body to knock into other people and try to lap them on the track to score points. That's, I mean, obviously there's a lot more to it, but that's for this, the purposes of this conversation, that's what it is. And so, yeah, I was always really scared that I was going to fall onto someone's skate in such a way that it like hurt, like damaged, you know, my uterus because it was like, you could touch it. Like it was, and I, I was terrified to tell anybody because again, there's all these, I'm sure, you know, there's these stigmas on certain kinds of Mm-hmm. diseases and certain kinds of illnesses especially when they pertain to like urinary tracts mm-hmm. anything to do with like you know the rectum or anything to do like anything any under the that. belt is generally anything, what I yeah. say has some sort of stigma yeah. around it yeah and I and then I'm sure you know that the people around me would have been fine and understanding with it but it was still something I wasn't like willing to share and even now years later I've only told a handful of people in my league like that that was that yeah my uterus like when when you first met me my uterus is outside of my body uh and they were like what and i'm like yeah dude it's it's back in now <laughs> but at the time <laughs> it was it was all the way out there and i was just irresponsibly roller skating and falling down and getting hit and stuff you're lucky but you yeah. don't have any big accidents with that i i really i really kind of am and then I took off for maybe 12 weeks after my surgery to make sure it was fully healed because I was really afraid I was going to fall and, you know, knock something loose, which is entirely possible. You know, my, mm-hmm. my surgeon warned me, he was like, even if this goes perfectly, the human body stretches, it ages, it changes. Uh, you, you may do everything perfectly. I may do everything perfectly. And we still may need to do this again in 10 years because of just natural stretching and aging. So the fact that I've been able to go the last six or seven years playing two or three days a week minus the pandemic time period and not have anything break. I'm, you know, I think you did a pretty good job. Yeah. Did you have to do, or did you not necessarily have to, but did you do anything extra to try to hold the uterus in place while you were playing? It was just, there was nothing I could do. It was just out. There are devices that you can put in your vagina. Mm -hmm. but they mostly rely on you having that pubis synthesis for the device to rest on. And without that, there was nothing I could do. It was just out. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's hard. It's a hard feeling to describe, but I, I tell you when that, when I woke up from that surgery after the multiple days of pain, of course, but I could stand up and like no longer felt this organ, bulging wow. and it just felt normal again. I was like, Oh my God, I kind of forgot what it felt like. You know, like when I'm laying in bed, it, I could, you know, we go back in my body, but I'd forgotten what it felt like to just stand up and like, have it feel like a normal situation. Well, so, you get used to it, you yeah. know, being in the, in the wrong spot, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> or have you had any other challenges with roller derby in terms of your health or outside of bladder extrophy, like generally, or just with bladder extrophy? Both, I guess. I'm, I mean, I'm just curious if that's um, really like the biggest challenge that you've had or if you've worried about, I mean, you know, some some people with bladder extrophy, you know, avoid contact in case their bladder mm-hmm. ruptures or something. Oh, like I see what you mean. Yeah, that, I mean, 
I think if that was going to happen, it would have happened by now, which I mean, you know, knock on wood, but it's such a niche thing. It's like, who am I going to (laughs) ask? Like, can, can women with bladder extrophy play roller derby? That's just like such a specific scenario that I, there was no good answer for it other than, Hey, probably don't fall down a lot, but (laughs) I don't know. That's just, that's just part of life. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never worried about bladder rupturing. I've haven't worried about like getting hit and peeing a little bit. Um, and there's women on my team that have that problem because they've had kids and I actually don't have that problem. Really? Yeah. I will say when I have to go, it's, there's a difference between stress, urgency, no stress leakage and urgency leakage. I think correct me if I'm wrong, but one is like stress is like I'm jumping rope and I leak. Right. Cause stress is on. And then the urgency is like, I have to go to the bathroom right now or I'm going to leak. Right. And that's the problem that I've always had is not the stress. It's the, I have to go right now. I've got about 10 minutes before it's going to be a problem. But you know, I'm, I manage that just by making sure that I'm go to the bathroom before at halftime, just at intervals throughout my day, especially involving practice. And then when I used to teach, I don't teach anymore. But when I used to teach, I had the same kind of a thing. I had a certain schedule and I had very specific times like for this class IP and middle of that class IP before lunch IP, like very specific times. And if I missed any of those times, it was probably going to be a problem. Okay. So I want to backtrack a little bit because I realized sure. there's a question I didn't ask. Um, so I've never had a bladder stone or a kidney stone. Can you mm-hmm. talk to us about what that felt like and and how you had to handle that? probably can't say a ton because I was very young when I had yeah. those. Uh, I want to I say it was when I was maybe six. Um, I just remember it being very, very painful. I remember thinking, I remember getting a UTI later in life and thinking that the pain was similar. I know that kidney stones are worse and I assume it's because your kidney filters blood. And so if your kidney's not working, your whole body's kind of having a rough time. But with the bladder, I just remember it being very similar to a UTI, just, just more painful. Okay. But somehow I think the doctors thought I was going to continue to have issues with bladder stones because I had stones back to back like two years in a row, maybe even the same year. And then I haven't had any since then. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of bladder extrophy people do have trouble with bladder and kidney stones. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty common problem. Yeah. I have not, to my knowledge anyway, had one. So I've had plenty of UTIs, but have not had stones since I was a kid. You did have a lot of UTIs then too. Yes, I did. As a kid, later as a sexually active adult, a lot of UTIs. One thing that helped was taking like a preventative antibiotic, like post-sexual relations. That helped quite a bit. But even with that, I still get them more often than the average person. Right. And sometimes I get them, even as an adult, I still sometimes get them unrelated to sexual activity. Um, usually because I'm not drinking enough water. I was going to say, you haven't had a doctor kind of look into that more? I had a doctor suggest that it might be something called interstitial cystitis, which from my understanding of that is basically like the lining of your bladder starts to deteriorate. And so everything that you drink irritates your bladder. Hmm. But then another doctor did some tests and said, no, we can't find any evidence of that. So what was that called? Interstitial cystitis. I've never heard of that. Okay. I'm going to look that up later and add a definition. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's actually interesting because my aunt has it. My aunt doesn't have any 
BE. She just developed it. It's just something people sometimes develop. But I think with BE patients having such a crappy bladder history and so much, you know, issues and damage to their bladder, it's probably, I imagine something that can happen more often with us. But yeah, um, basically when that starts to happen to you, anytime you drink something acidic or spicy or anything, it just really upsets your bladder. So it can start to feel like you constantly have a UTI, but really you're just your food and your drink that your bladder is storing is is irritating it. Interesting. Yeah. My aunt had to stop like eating tomatoes and stop drinking orange juice and like anything that was like overly acidic because otherwise it makes her feel miserable. With your UTIs, have you ever noticed if they correlate with like uh, an urgency feeling? Yes, very much. Yeah. I wonder if it's because this is what I had. It was a deflux issue hmm. where it was backing back up into the kidneys. Okay. And then that that causes the UTI because it's, you know, Mm -hmm. bringing the bacteria backwards through the body instead of Mm, moving through. Yeah, that's, um, go ahead, sorry. No, I'll just say I've, um, a lot of the girls that have been on the show have had the same problem. I am going, like I mentioned before, I'm going to see a specialist here in the city in a couple of weeks because the last six months or so I've had more UTIs than I probably had in like five years. I don't know why. Like there's no obvious reason. Nothing's really changed in my life. So I'm, and the first thing that he asked for was an ultrasound of my kidneys. And I'm wondering if it was to pick up on something like that, or I don't know what other tests he's going to do, but yeah. Did they, did he have you do the ultrasound of your kidneys when you were full, when your bladder's full yes. as well? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Probably. Cause that's what they used to do with me for ultrasounds for checking that mm-hmm. is they check when you're full. And then after you've gone to the bathroom, they check again to see where everything's at. Yeah. But I, I had chronic UTIs as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it was always cause of that. Well, I have not seen I mean, I saw the, I saw a doctor for the pelvic floor stuff, but I have not seen a doctor for anything bladder extrophy related other than the occasional UTI in 15 years. Yeah. I mean, you're not having problems, you know? Right. But I also know that as a, like a responsible adult, I probably should get things like my kidneys checked or other things just occasionally checked because of my history. I just don't think about it. And then I don't think about it. And then years pass. There was a big chunk of my 20s where I didn't have health insurance. So it didn't really matter. <laughs> oh I've gone to see a doctor. So I just didn't have health insurance. I finally got it so I could have the surgery, the pelvic floor surgeries. But yeah. So this is me trying to be a responsible 35 year old woman and go see a doctor whose name I've forgotten, but he's a specialist. It's not, it's not easy <laughs> to be an adult and be responsible. I mean, <laughs> mm, yeah, especially the routine things where it's like, there's something wrong with me. So do I really need to take an afternoon off and drive all the way here and do that and pay for this test? Like, is it really something you need? But it is, it is something that you should do. If you don't go and then something goes wrong, you'd be kicking yourself later. Right. So, yeah. And I had never had any kidney issues. So now it had never occurred to me to even get them checked for anything. So I'm glad that that is something that occurred to him. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, that shows that he really is a specialist and knows what he's Mm -hmm. looking at, too. Mm -hmm. And then I'm curious, do you know if your doctors through the military, if any of them were specialists at all? No, uh, the military pretty much just sends you wherever's cheapest. <laughs> so, gotcha. There were probably times where I should have had a specialist and didn't, and that's a bummer. But 
like I mentioned, the first, the first couple of doctors, like the, the initial closure and then the surgery at the age of five to make me continent. Those I think were done by specialists, but the other things, the bladder stones, the plastic surgery, you know, scar tissue improvement stuff. I think that was just done by nearby army hospitals. Gotcha. Did those surgeries help by the way, with the scars? Yes and no. One, like I had like a medium sized scar and then one surgery, like widened the scar up here, but narrowed it down here. And I was like, well, that's a wash because you just, you didn't make it go away. You made it go away here, but worse here. And then one of them actually gave me a belly button, like basically created a scar where my belly button should be. And from far away, it does kind of resemble, it looks like a, it looks like an indent in my stomach. It kind of looks like a belly button. It's not until you get close up when you realize it's, there's no depth to it. It's just sort of a but so that was that was pretty cool um but nothing south of there really changed so i you know eh. wouldn't do again if you had the option the when i was a kid i feel like the belly button thing was nice because like i said at first glance it was an improvement and that was a big source of like body image issues for me as an adult i don't give a shit i don't give a crap sorry i don't know As an adult, half the time, like when I'm at roller derby practice, I'm in a sports bra sometimes and I'm just like showing off my scars or being, because now I have like laparoscopy. I don't know if that's the right word, but like the, not the one big scar, but now I have a bunch of like little scars as well from one like of the, the Like the surgeries. little indent type one? Yeah, like the little robot where they stick like a, a robot arm in there or whatever. I yeah. What it's called. Um, so now I have the one big one down the middle and a bunch of little ones. And I'm always like, Hey guys, want to see my scars? <laughs> you want to talk about, you want to share scars? Cause I'm, I bet I win like mine are cooler. <laughs> but again, as a kid, you, you just want to fit in. You just want to be normal. So. Yeah. Do you think it was worth it just for the self-esteem back then? Yeah. And the fact that because my dad was still full-time military that he didn't have, we didn't have to pay for any of that. Yeah that helps. So, well, and just out of curiosity, do you have other kinds of practices that you like to do to like restore your body and wellness, like outside of roller derby? Like, do you have anything that you kind of center yourself with? I'm not super into that kind of wellness. I am very, very active. Like I play derby or lift weights most days and I try to get like a certain number of steps every day and I try to get enough sleep. Like I'm super into certain like health supplements, skincare, things like that. But in terms of like, I guess the mindfulness practice, that's just never really been my thing. Like even going to yoga classes, I'm like, Oh Lord, <laughs> this is so, this is too quiet. I need to do something like this is boring, but that's just, it's just not my thing. But I do, you know, I have like a, one thing I do that I guess could be considered like a form of like mindfulness is habit tracking. Mm-hmm. So I have a habit tracker and I just have like 10 things that I try my hardest to do every day to either do or avoid like avoid eating fried food or whatever. And I've been trying to do that to just like see trends and really try to be more consistent with the things I want in order to reach the goals that I want. But most of them are like physical or skincare related. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's all interconnected. So I just like to ask everyone what they're doing outside as well. Do you have anything, I guess, besides UTIs that you're still dealing with at all, or you're kind of just waiting around for your appointment? Uh, I'm mostly just waiting around the UTI and like just the general 
presence and increase of, of pain and urgency that's kind of been off and on is really making me wonder if there's something else going on that's not a UTI because I've been in to see the doctor a couple times and one or two times it was a UTI. And then one or two times she was like, oh, I can't, I can't find any evidence of a UTI. And I'm like, well, it feels like I have a UTI lady. Like what's happening? So that's kind of what spurred that. But other than those, my only other big concern right now is worrying that my pelvic floor is going to fail again, which I've kind of come to accept that that's a probability. And then just making sure when I travel with other people, especially that I am watching my fluid intake and not having nighttime issues. And I'm sure people that I travel with would be understanding, but it's still a situation I would rather avoid. Oh, yeah. I did one time. Do you want to hear a story? Always. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I was on a derby trip. And we went to a beach area and I stayed a couple extra days with a couple of my league mates to go to the beach after the tournament or wherever we were doing was over. We rented a car and we were driving to the coast and I was driving and I had, I had to pee really badly. And we kept just driving past residential area after residential area. And I was like, y'all, I'm going to pee in these people's front yard. You don't understand how badly I have to go. It's, it, I can't do it much more. We finally get to the beach area and I, you know, swing the car around and throw it in park and get out and like half sprint to the public bathrooms. And I'd gotten back and realized that I had basically wet the entire front seat of this rental car. Oh no. And that one of my friends had sat in it to move the car. <laughs> I was like, sorry. <laughs> oh no. I was mortified. I was mortified, but they were super understanding because like one of them's a mom of four and she has some issues with bladder control, like when she plays and stuff. So they were both super understanding about it, but I was absolutely mortified. But we so we laughed about it later and I, you know, told the story to a few other people on my team. And somehow the story telephoned accidentally and became I intentionally peed in a rental car front seat. And I was like, y'all, I would never. No. <laughs> like, what? Why would I do that? And they're like, I don't know. That's just what I heard. I'm like, no, I did not intentionally pee in the Hertz rental car front seat. Anyway. That's pretty funny. So I try really hard not to let that kind of stuff happen. I get, I'd rather be dehydrated than for that to happen again. That, it was pretty yeah. embarrassing. But it's a good story yeah. now. <laughs> It is. Yes. <laughs> and as long as you're with people who are, who are good about it too. Yeah. 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 It's the kind of thing I'm glad it happened as an adult, not as like a teenager, because I'm sure that would have been a different scenario, you know? Yeah. I had a problem recently overnight at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. You know, girls had gotten together. We were having, you know, just a girl's night in watching movies, wine, that kind of thing. And we all decided to stay the night and I remember just waking up in the middle of the night and just being like oh crap like mm-hmm. I've had a problem on this girl's air mattress like I'm gonna have to clean it up mm-hmm. and all this stuff and like I'm bumping around in the dark and I've you know never stayed the night there before nonetheless had to like walk around in the dark so I'm trying to find towels and like cheap mm-hmm. sheets and things like that and she got up and just like took care of everything gave me a change of pajamas to have on like was so sweet about it but Mm -hmm. yeah like as long as you're with people who are good about it you can kind of look back and be like man (laughs) especially because i got a i got a couple friends in our our partying days that 
wet their bed and they didn't have bladder atrophy as an excuse. They just drink a lot of margaritas. So right. it's a thing that happens, you know, regardless. Even if you don't have an excuse. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But it is nice to have a scapegoat excuse. <laughs> Do you have any other fun stories? Off the top of my head, no. That was the mo- one of the more recent ones. I've definitely, I've definitely been in the scenario where I woke up and there was an accident and I was just like either at a guy's house or something. And I was just too embarrassed and was just like, hope this dries by morning. (laughs) I'm not waking this dude up. We just, you know, we just met a few weeks ago. Anyway, right. A few stories like that, but no, it hasn't, it hasn't been that bad. I feel actually feel pretty lucky as an adult. I've learned to manage everything and not dehydrate myself too badly most of the time. So yeah. There is that fine line of like staying just hydrated enough, mm-hmm. but also like not setting yourself up to fail overnight. <laughs> yeah. So if you met, let's say a kid that has bladder extrophy and they wanted to go into roller derby, what mm-hmm. would you tell them? Um, I would probably first, I'd probably have them talk to their doctor about it because not as we've just discovered, you know, not every bladder atrophy case is the same. So they may have something where every time they get hit in that area, you know, they leak or they risk damage to their bladder or something like that. So I would probably tell them to make sure that they are physically able to do that, that it's safe. And as soon as that is as confirmed as it can be, or at least as low risk as it can be, I would say, have fun. Don't hold back. Don't use it as an, as an excuse to hold back. Like if everything is okay and you can mitigate any problems or you can minimize any issues, like, I don't know. I see a lot of people that use various ailments or, or whatever to kind of excuse not trying their best at practice or not coming as much as they could. And it's like, is that you have to kind of ask yourself the question, like, is there really a reason that I don't want to do this? Like, or is there really a reason I can't do this or is it that I don't want to do this? So that would probably be the other thing is like, don't force that limit upon yourself if it doesn't need to be there. Would you advise that they tell any of their teammates? Yeah. (laughs) I think there would have been fewer issues or questions with the rental car situation if more people knew about my problem and also probably fewer people that believed I did it on purpose but um (laughs) yeah I would probably maybe not you know like announce it but just make it like a known thing everyone knows that at halftime you're not going to find me because I got to go wait in the line for the bathroom like that's just a thing I have to do so yeah I'd probably I would tell people as the need arises as you said not like announce it but at least to not go out of your way to hide it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've missed. I feel like we've kind of talked about most things. Yeah, that's, that's all I can think of. I should have, we should have scheduled this after my specialist meeting so that I, if there was anything new there, I could have talked about it, but hopefully there's nothing new. Hopefully he's like, well, you look great. And then I go home, you know, but yeah. I mean, if you feel up to it, you can feel free to email me any updates and I can add a little side note. Just say this is a check-in after her appointment. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I'm really glad that that there's resources like this because I I mean, you're probably old enough to remember a time before the internet or at least the internet was like just happening, right? Yeah. When we were kids and 
you're the you're the first person I've ever talked to with a face that has that had bladder extrophy. Like really, the first person I ever talked to whose voice I heard was Tom, and that was like a month ago. The vice president of the yeah. uh, association for bladder extrophy community um other than that i've only ever seen people on like facebook and even that was pretty recent like when i was a kid i didn't know anybody i never met another kid with anything resembling extrophy um had no adults i could ask any questions to had no books had nothing uh i don't know if any of that was even available so it's kind of flying blind and i think it's super cool that there are people willing to go out of their way and take time out of their day and their lives to, to do that. And I'm mostly talking about you. Cause yeah, I spent like an hour here <laughs> talking to you, but you're the one that keeps something like this going and people, kids tuning in to listen to it. It's, it's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, definitely. Yeah. I didn't have any resources growing up. I didn't know anybody with bladder extrophy. I had never met anybody else with bladder extrophy until I started the podcast. It just mm-hmm. kind of, felt like something I needed to do, I guess. And then I started meeting people and everyone has such a different story. And like Mm -hmm. everyone I've met through the podcast too has been so positive and like haven't let it hold them back at all. Yeah. And I've met a lot of scared parents too, of like new Mm -hmm. kids with it. So Mm -hmm. it's something that needs to be out there to show parents. Like it doesn't have to be so scary. Like you'll live through it. They'll live through it. Yeah. And they know a lot more about what to do 30, you know, five years later. So if I, if I can turn out pretty, if you and I can turn out pretty decent, then the kid being born now is fine. Totally fine. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. I hope you enjoyed meeting and talking to Cheyenne as much as I did. And um, leave me a review. Also hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast at. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to send them my way. Don't forget, I am stockpiling any questions for another Ask Me Anything episode. And if you want to further support this podcast, please join me on Patreon. Lastly, if you would like to share your story or know someone who would, I can be contacted through my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com or on social media. Thank you so much for listening.